0: Well, hello, and welcome to the latest installment of Take Back Our Schools. I'm Beth Feely, here with my esteemed co-host, Andrew Gutman, and we are two accidental activists who spoke up about what was happening in our children's schools, and now we talk about those issues and others affecting schools across the country with an eye to solving the problems that we see. So a few weeks ago, we were joined by former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos, and today we are very excited to have as our guest her senior counselor, Robert Itell. Bob's a co-founder and president of the Defense of Freedom Institute for Policy Studies, which is an independent nonprofit focused on providing thoughtful conservative solutions to the challenges presented by education, workforce, labor, and employment issues. And as I mentioned, he was senior counselor to Secretary DeVos from 2017 through 2020 and was materially involved with the secretary's reforms regarding Title IX, which we will talk about. Uh, He also had served as deputy general counsel at Department of Education from 05 to 09. He's also worked with a variety of post-secondary institutions, practice education and employment law in both Washington, D.C. and New Orleans. And so today we welcome Bob to the show.
1: I am delighted to be with you guys.
0: Great. Well, we are really happy to have you here. Um, and we are going to focus on Title IX mainly because we are pretty sure that you understand what's in the 700 pages of President Biden's proposed <laughs> new rules. So we're counting on that. But before we before we get into that, for people who aren't familiar, um, Bob, would you, could you please briefly give us an overview of what Title IX is?
1: Certainly, Title IX was a statute uh, passed by Congress uh, and signed by President Richard Nixon in 1972. The purpose of which is to prohibit sex discrimination in education. Uh, historically. Title IX has been thought of uh, uh, as a law that uh, mandates equal athletic opportunities for for women and girls in sports that are occurring uh, at educational institutions that receive federal financial assistance. In recent years, that debate has turned to one of sexual harassment on campus in the role of Title IX in preventing those sorts of occurrences. And so the debates uh, the last 10 years have, have focused on that harassment issue and some of the due process concerns that have arisen from the disciplinary proceedings that have occurred, particularly in higher ed uh, re- regarding sexual harassment relations.
2: and those, And that was coming from the Obama administration changes to Title IX rules?
1: Yes, the, the, the courts have have long ago indicated that sexual harassment is a form of sex discrimination uh, under under Title IX, and that it was a basis uh, for uh, uh, protections afforded by Title IX. What the Obama administration did, you have to go back eleven years uh, to twenty eleven. Uh, the the Obama administration. Recognize, and I, you know, and to be fair, I think rightly recognize that there is a problem with sexual assaults, particularly in higher education, uh, and in wanting to do something about it. The Office of Civil Rights came out with something that was called a "Dear Colleague" letter, which is a basically a, a guidance letter sent by a federal agency to. Uh, institutions responsible for complying with a certain statute indicating what the department's interpretation was. This this 2011 Dear Cogley letter uh, became infamous because it was a de facto regulation that the department issued that didn't go through any kind of rulemaking or public comment process. Arguably, it went far outside of the cattle line itself requires, which is really a very brief Statutory requirement, but it created all sorts of problems on campus in the name of preventing sexual assault and sexual harassment. Which, which the diagnosis was was probably appropriate, but the cure of the 2011 letter was a problem. I can get into that if you'd like. They follow that on with another document in 2014, which sort of reiterating the issues set out in the 2011 letter, uh, but it created instances, it's just to say that it created a scenario, particularly in higher education, on campus where complaints of sexual harassment were being filed and schools were engaging in disciplinary proceedings against students accused of sexual harassment uh, and just steamrolling the process.
0: I think some people would say that that it was um it was too much. It actually it ended up eroding the rights of the accused, and I'm wondering I have two questions. One, were universities asking for this type of guidance, or was this more the initiative just of the Obama administration and some things they had picked up on? And then, um, secondly, could they have could they have done it in a more restrained manner that would not have perhaps had some of these effects? Um, and then, and we can get into. Kind of how you, you corrected some of those effects. You know,
1: the, the ugly secret of the 2011 letter is, is that there is a division of opinion, I think, within higher education about the Obama letter. On the one hand, you have uh, the offices of general counsel uh, uh, and those who were responsible for the business side, who, who in large measure, not entirely, there's obviously a difference of opinion wherever you go who thought that the Obama uh, 2011 guidance was totally out of bounds and being applied in ways that um, were causing real issues for institutions of higher education, not only in terms of how their students were being treated, but also creating liability situations in the courts. Uh, there were scores of cases filed by students accused of harassment, uh, alleged violations of due process, and other corollary Uh, legal claims and and schools are getting hit with with judgments, with liability, having to settle cases. So that was a real problem from a murder perspective. On the other hand, to a great extent, within the Title IX coordinator community, that is the the individuals who who ran the Title IX offices on campus, uh, were very receptive. These
2: is that, I'll uh, just, just interrupt you quickly that, that Title IX coordinator, that is something that every college or university must have?
1: In school, in school and school district. Okay. And that's been the rule for that. Right? That's, okay. that's not something that we, we, the Obama folks came up with. That's been the rule for, for, for quite a while. It's been in the register since, perhaps even since the beginning. It, but, but, it, but let's suffice it to say, it created a crisis of due process in higher ed, because that was the focus of enforcement. Uh, and Beth, I think you had a second question. What was that?
0: Well, I guess, could they have done this in a way that did not create so many of these problems? Do you, um, I, I'm assuming you felt it was overreached because you participated in the, in the remaking of some of these rules, but- You know, it seems as though if they've identified a problem, great. You know, let's let's come up with a solution. But why something? Do you think they knew that it was going to going to have these effects, um, or was it something that? I guess they could have done better the first time because it does seem like there's this ping pong uh, game. I think I, I read somebody characterizing it as that. And I think that that's accurate because um, it seems to be swaying so much from side to side, depending on who's in office. And that is, it's difficult for schools. It's difficult for, for students, for families. And um, anyway, so I was just wondering if, if you thought there was a more measured way of, of going about this.
1: You, you know, great minds think like that because I just used, The the phrase "ping pong rulemaking" in a blog that I'm drafting today. So uh, perhaps I should give you uh, credit. Not necessary, but in my writing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's
0: just take your compliment.
1: Yes, but it it was they could have done it. They they didn't. Part of the problem is because, and we can get into the the culture and politics of all this. But there's a hard left base that wants for you know, that's tied into the feminist legal moves and action groups on this issue that demands for these sorts of uh, aggressive tactics on campus in terms of stamping out sexual harassment. You know, and that's to say that there was a, a backlash to this. There was intense criticism from a, a, across ideological lines, not just on the right, but... Uh, Amongst from libertarians, civil libertarians, libertarian left, uh, self-described liberals who did not like the the Ill, illiberal approach to due process required uh, by the DCL and enforced by the Office for, for civil rights at the Department of Education, and so that there was a there was a there was a uh, a real. Uh, deep vein of criticism that arose. And so when Trump was elected in 2016, there was an unexpected opportunity for some real reform. That's when Secretary Betsy DeVos stepped in.
2: Was the Title IX reform, was that that one of the main things that, was that coming from her Um, in in terms of something that was really an initiative to correct?
1: Yes, I think, well, there there was a constituency for change uh, on this issue. Uh, amongst public intellectuals, amongst civil libertarians on the right and the left. Uh, and, and people realized, people who followed this issue realized there was an intense, a real intense problem here that we to be corrected. Uh, Secretary DeVos uh, came into office, I think, not particularly focused on this issue, but when she started reading about it uh, early on in her tenure, realized that this is something that needed to be fixed and reformed. And she took the bull by the horns and did it and faced unbelievable criticism from feminist groups and left-wing groups on her efforts to do so. But she uh, has a steely spine and pushed through these reforms and did it the right way.
2: Right. She didn't but, want to do another dear colleague letter. Correct. Right. There's
1: no more bureaucratic edicts to be issued from desks from desks, the desks of civil servants. She wanted to do it right through rulemaking uh, that that takes that took into account public comments over a period of time. I and mean, that's exactly what happened. The department under her under her supervision proposed a rule in November of 2018, took comments for over 60 days. The comments numbered over 125,000 comments, which for the wow. Department of Education, for the Department of Education, that was a record. Um, and then uh, her staff closely reviewed and read each comment, addressed those comments in a final rule that was published in May of 2020 and which became effective in August of of 2020, and which is now the law of the land. And it corrected uh, these deficiencies uh, that had occurred in the Obama policy. Flash forward to the election of Joe Biden, one of the first initiatives that the education department has, has taken in regards to civil rights is a wholesale revamping of the DeVos rule proposing uh, today, actually, officially publishing today, July 12, a new proposed rule on title IX. It is a wholesale revamping. It goes even further than what the folks did under the 2011 Dear College letter and addresses issues relating to sex discrimination uh, that uh, don't necessarily directly impact issues of sexual harassment. That is to say, it does not just simply address sexual harassment, but it addresses sex discrimination on campus as a whole. So it's a much more comprehensive document. So we're
2: talking about trans and gender issues? Is that where, where this So I think it's,
1: Yeah. yes. I mean, that, that's, that's part of it.
0: And it, how does also this relate to the seven hundred page document that was already issued? This is on top of that or expands upon it? No, this
1: is this is the official version of the seven hundred page document. Oh, okay. They uh, posted, and, yeah. So they posted on the website. We we did this as well.
0: And then and um, then this now people can comment. Is this what had to happen in order for people to be able to? comment on this?
1: It's what they have to do in order to to change the DeVos rule. Because the the Secretary DeVos went through rulemaking, the only way to undo rulemaking is to do rulemaking that undoes the prior rulemaking. Or Congress can step in and pass a new law or or modify the law, the courts can can know, But generally, that's how it's done. So what they are attempting to do with this newly published document is to undo the DeVos rule, but also to go further on other issues, which we can get into in, in, in mm-hmm. a few minutes. So what was published last, uh, a few weeks ago, that was simply an unofficial draft.
0: A draft, of okay. Of the
1: Title IX of rule. What came out today is the official version published in the Federal Register.
0: And had they uh, gotten uh, any feedback on that or what basically what changes between that, that draft and this, this official yeah. rule.
1: I, I've not read the official rule that was published today, but the, the official really? rule that was published no, <laughs> today, the official rule, I know I'm saying that, the official rule that was published today uh, should uh, uh, track the unofficial version that was, that was published. Uh, okay. Ago. Uh, the, the, but whatever the case is, the official version is in the primes. It's it, that that's the one that you need to look at.
0: Okay, and so um, if you could take us through some of these major changes um, to to the rules that you had issued and what they are proposing, um, so people can understand, I guess, in layman's terms, kind of what how this is going to change Title Nine and very much change, um, you know, how how this plays out in educational institutions.
1: Sure. Just a couple of preliminary general observations about the rule. So m- most of this discussion about uh, the proposed rule that, that, that came out today and unofficially a few weeks ago has focused on issues of due process and free speech. And the commentary has been very insightful and helpful. And, it, and, it's, and, it, and these are criticisms that people need to listen to. But, but there's a lot more to this to this proposed rule that Biden has just released than deprocess and free speech issue. When you read this, uh, you, you will see that it's, it is a vehicle for cultural and social change using our nation's schools and colleges and universities as the conduit for that change. And more specifically, to use the Title IX coordinator offices as the accelerants for change within those institutions. We can get into that and, and talk about that in, in, in a bit. The, the other thing that we need to realize is that this proposed rule, as I said, goes far beyond issues of sexual harassment. It's the wholesale revision of the Title IX regulations uh, that, that, that go beyond simply you know, defining what sexual harassment is and the procedures for handling those sorts of, of, of Complaints. It's a very different document from you what know, the DeVos rule, uh, which is currently in effect uh, 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 addresses. It's, some of the things this proposed rule does in terms of you know, massively expanding the scope of Title IX in schools, colleges, and universities is that it expands this, the definition of what sex is under Title IX. Currently, it's a matter of sex, and sex to be understood as binary and biological. This rule expressly expands line to include sexual orientation, gender identity, sex characteristics, sex, ter- sex ter- stereotyping, and, and pregnancy and related conditions. None of these terms are defined. So there's no definition of sexual orientation. When one you know, most normal readers, when they see see the word sexual orientation, they think in terms of homosexual or, or, or heterosexual or, or, or a bisexual. But there's no limitations on the language in this rule. It goes far beyond that. So you know, I've talked to other experts about this, and there's some concern that this can protect orientation towards certain sexual fetishes mm-hmm. and you consider this issue in the context of that this is applicable to k-12 it it raises some real concerns similarly there's no definition of, of, of gender identity what what that is in the statute
0: well and to a certain extent that's Probably on purpose, because it is ever evolving. Um, and, and really, none of this is really a surprise coming out of the Biden administration. They came out the gate saying that this was a priority. And consistently, we've seen this. Um, but you're right, like with this being in the K-12 arena, um, and having, you know, you, you immediately do go to places where, you know, pedophilia, I mean, like there really is no limit to what could, could be encompassed in here. Is that kind of where you're it, going it, with it,
1: this? That, And that's where I'm going. It's sort of the orientation to what it's actually. And, and, and if, if you, you, you want to provide protection for lesbian engagement the power line, that's, that's a policy discussion we uh, can have. But it needs to occur in the context of education and the fact that these rules apply to K-12.
2: Could you talk it, more it, about it. how this applies to K-12? Like, like how does this actually impact?
1: Well, you know, all, all it... of these rules, all of the rules generally apply to K-12. So there there, there is, and that's important to remember when anybody takes if anyone wants to take the time to read these, they generally apply to K-12. There are there's reflect. As with the DeVos rule, there are uh, proposed uh, I- exceptions uh, to, to K-12, uh, but all of the rules generally apply to K-12. So these definitions, this expansion of scope uh, beyond SACS applies to K-12. What, what really concerns me with this definitional scope issue is that there's nothing in the text that protects women's and girls' sports. The administration made a really big thing when they released the unofficial text a few weeks ago about saying this proposed rule does not address women's athletics. Uh, We will address that issue, the criteria for that issue in a future ruling. I personally believe, as do many others, that that's a a strategic feint by the department, that they they do intend to regulate this issue with this proposed rule. And indeed, if you look at the regulatory text and you insert the the phrase gender identity in the context of the athletics provisions of Title IX, it clearly says that there shall be no discrimination on the basis of, of gender identity in athletics. So notwithstanding whatever Ed is saying, what they're writing is saying something totally different. And uh, folks need to be very aware that this is a a rule that that will affect women's and girls' sports and, and as it contains absolutely no express provisions based on binary biological size.
0: Well, and so that's part of the strategy. get this past first or get this rule into practice first, and then they can either choose to rule or or perhaps feel like they don't have to rule because it will become de rigor uh, for for how you know we run our schools. But it seems as though that that, that it leaves that very open and possibly, you're saying, on purpose. Uh, and so because I think there'd be a real backlash. I do think that that really has struck a chord with pe- a nerve with people. Um, right. is this sports issue. So that, that actually makes a lot of sense.
1: I, I think they're attempting to neuter the public response to this regulation by uh, issuing this, this press release about the future rulemaking on, on athletics. Uh, I think that they were taken aback by, by the rising uh, grassroots revolt on the issue. Uh, the politics is not working in their favor. And I can almost see how the White House was you know, reviewing this reg before it was released and the Office of Political Affairs stepping in and saying, this is a real problem for us. We cannot regulate on this issue the way we want to do. We need to pump. And people shouldn't fall for that. It does regulate on the issue. The, the other thing, Andrew, you made the point about, uh, that's made the point about uh, uh, it, it, you know, the plan is, you know, for, for these for, the, for these rules and athletics to just come into play through enforcement. This gets to the issue of the role of the, of the Title IX coordinator, which you know, I, I refer variously as you know, individuals as sort of this combined grand inquisitor campus commissar roving patrol, whose responsibility it is, you know, affirmatively under the rule, there's a mandate for, for this person to, to monitor the school's Title IX program for what they say, bar- what are they, there's barriers to reporting information, the requirements that this coordinator force school to take steps to, to address these barriers, Requirements for the Title IX coordinator to take, you know, they refer to as prompt and effective steps to ensure that sex discrimination does not continue or occur on campus. I mean, there are some real affirmative obligations in this role for institutions, both, both K-12 and higher ed through the office of the Title Coordinator to affect, to affect these change. It's not like the model that we have now. Under the DeVos rule, you have a Title IX coordinator who's there to accept complaints, to provide supportive uh, uh, measure, measures to students in need who don't want to file complaints, uh, to provide information on best practices and to, and to, to provide training. It, it's more of a, I don't want to call it a passive role because it's not passive. The Biden rule turns the title coordinator into an activist on campus who's got to enforce Title IX as envisioned by this regulation. And so when you combine that empowerment with, for instance, the definitional change in gender identity that we just discussed, you can see the issue that will will arise. One other item I just want to mention in connection with this uh, role of the Title I employment. and that's this in K-12 every employee is required under this proposed rule to inform on other members of the campus community and the school community whenever they see conduct behavior or policies that may Constitute sex discrimination under the rule. So, so effectively what this does in Stasi-like fashion is it drag nearly every K-12 employee to monitor compliance with this rule under Title IX and report it to the coordinator. That, that to me is, is, is a remarkable requirement. There's a similar requirement for higher ed institutions, uh, it's, it's a little bit more delineated uh, uh, for higher ed. And it's focused on people who are who are uh, administrative leaders or, or teachers or counselors. Uh, there are a few exceptions to this rule for, for confidential employees uh, where students in, in need of counseling can see uh, uh, somebody without, you know, that's somebody really informing the Title IX committee community, but there's, there's an informal requirement for this rule, which I find to be very distressing. Just to go
2: back to the K-12 athletics issue really quickly, so, so your expectation is that under these rules, we would see more Leah Thomases at the K-12 level. In other words, transformer, oh. you know, biological male swimmers in female sports, and there's nothing that schools can do to prevent that, given these rules. Is that... Yes, is that
1: I, 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 it's inevitable. In fact, yeah. it's, it's required. Right. Uh, it, and this goes to my comment just now about the Title IX coordinator. I mean, now the Title IX coordinator will have an approved duty to ensure that their school district, their school, uh, allows for participation based on gender identity. Uh, and, and of course, So whatever like, I say my gender is, what? I can ch- whatever I say my gender is, they are obligated
2: to accept that. Yes.
1: Yes. Uh, and, and for you not to do so, that is, for the school not to do so on its own, right, would be a violation of Title IX.
2: And what would a public as, school as, district? What say? What would a, What would happen if a public school district violated that? I mean, what? What? what
1: so kind what will happen is that uh, a, a member of the school community uh, would file a complaint with the Title IX coordinator. Uh, they would push the issue through if, if the school refuses to to comply then that individual or anyone really file a complaint with the office for Civil Rights US Department of Education and the department will then investigate the matter and the department after concluding its investigation uh, will then enter into what's called a resolution room now the school can fight that that rarely happens Um it's most likely what will happen because federal funds are at risk is that the school district will capitulate, enter into a resolution agreement with OCR and that resolution agreement will direct the school district's compliance with the regulation and include all sorts of milestones and monitoring uh, and and other provisions that ensure that at the end of the day, gender identity is a basis for participation.
0: Teams. So kind of as you said, basically this will serve as a vehicle for cultural and social change. And it, but it is just sports, yeah, I correct. mean well, the potential to a, sports, I think, is it, it, part. Of, that's part of the social change. I mean, I, I, I think that yeah, I think that's that's exactly where this it, goes. So, it,
1: it, so are there rights uh, issue as well here?
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in terms of boy, on a number of levels. In terms of of, of, of Affirming somebody making this decision in terms of you know protecting your child, um, you know who's participating in these sports. I mean, it's it's uh, it is definitely something that I think. Um, and again, with the sports issue, you have seen many more people willing to at least speak up or pay attention because they see directly how this is going to impact their families versus having you know whatever whatever sense whatever your. Values are on you know sexuality and gender identity and how you you know your thoughts on those to- on those topics
1: and, and, and that's let's also be clear that this also applies in the classroom so to the extent your your minor child desires it he, he or she may choose their their gender identity at school uh, whatever pronouns they desire, whatever bathroom they desire. at any
2: sorry at any yeah. age. I mean, is there is there an age threshold here? Where there is no you, age. There is no threshold. age. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and if you look at the sex ed, uh, the recommendations, the sex ed standards, they want these. They recommend these conversations happen early, K through two, I believe. So you have on a number of fronts encouraging this, and um, yes, and I mean, do you see? Do you see basically an uptick in activity where? DCFS or whatever state equivalent is going to be called in because of the culture that this creates in schools, that they are going to make that a more common occurrence when when a family um, you know is not involved, when a teacher or the school is encouraging a child at school, and a family might have a different set of values. Like, I mean, what do you see? I view like?
1: this as a as a mandate for schools to implement these changes.
2: Yeah.
1: Notwithstanding whatever parents think. Yeah. It will it will be a violation under um, this rule for a school to, to, to require students to uh, uh, use the bathroom of their biology or or to require students to use uh, uh, the, the pronouns of mm-hmm. and gender of their biology.
0: I think I read that that's that is explicit in these that uh, mis- misgendering someone is a Title IX violation. But that's explicitly outlined. And,
1: and in fact, OCR is, is enforcing Title IX in that way now. They just entered into a resolution agreement with the school district on this very issue. So they're enforcing it at this way now. But I will tell you, once this rule becomes final, it will be have a force of law. And you will have not only isolated enforcement proceedings, but... But a policy enforceable uh, by the Justice Department and uh, the Education Department and the Title IX coordinators on campuses in the school districts. Is there, any, assuming, I want two questions, assuming these go through, <coughs>
2: um, is there anything that the states, state legislatures can do to counteract these?
1: Or is there they're pretty much? There's a struggle, there's a federal state struggle here for power. Uh, the, you know, distressingly, the, the, there is language in this proposed regulation that states that to the extent there is a conflict between federal and state law, the state law, the, the federal law primes unless the state law grants the student additional rights. So what you see in this reg is the favoritism to you know, these blue state jurisdictions that you know they're with the program on this and red state jurisdictions who are not with the program uh, are gonna have a conflict and then you're in the courts. Uh, and it, it will make it more difficult for states that disagree with these policies to, to implement their their view of society and culture in in their schools in terms of the laws that they've done.
2: All right. So these 700 pages came out today. What's the process now? Is your expectation that this passes as is, that this passes with changes, that this doesn't pass? And what can parents and concerned citizens do to give their input and, and hopefully having, you know, some impact here?
1: So we've entered the official comment period. Under, under federal law, the agency must provide an opportunity for the public to submit comments. Uh, there is a portal to do that. You, you submit them electronically. There is a six-day period for this process. So parents and other interested observers have until September 10th to submit their comments to the department. It's then under the the responsibility of the department to take all these comments, just like Secretary DeVos and her staff did a few years ago, read every one, consider them, and reconcile the points in a final regulation. That process is very time consuming and I anticipate will Result and they will be published well into 2023. The, the big wild card question is what changes will they entertain? Um, and it's going to depend on what they receive in the comments and, and, and frankly, the, the criticisms that they're reading in, in the media for the next couple of months and, frankly, beyond.
0: And so, um, how Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of people getting a handle on this and, you know, any anybody can can submit comments, correct? Uh, in, private citizen, yeah, organization, yeah. anyone. Yes, um, yes, And you don't have to be a quote-unquote expert. I think most people want to feel, though, that they've got a fairly good handle of the situation. So what what do you recommend in terms of people and, and resources for people to check out um, sure. so that they can better understand?
1: So one thing learning, I'd say is, is the department – wants to hear stories. I, I, I would, I would uh, advocate for every person out there uh, to explain how this rule would, would affect you. If you have a, a, a daughter uh, on, a, on a sports team and uh, uh, it is your view that it, that sports team should remain for biological females, you should say that and explain what's happening. Uh, likewise, if you have a concern about parental rights in K 12 under this issue, as we just discussed, I would talk about that. There's all sorts of uh, issues in this reg that we haven't had time to get into regarding free speech, its impact on liberty, uh, and other things that, that people, people may want to think about as well. Uh, there is uh, an electronic portal uh, that the government has. Uh, at the regulations I will tell you that my organization will have a resource page for uh, on the on our website that that has the rule a summary of the rule uh, like a two or three pager you know a chart that compares uh, this rule with the current law Great. Uh, and then a link to to the to the to the portal for the government to submit a comment so uh, org is where you can get that. But uh, I would encourage everybody who has concern about this to submit a comment. It is really important. And not just the quality of the comments Center, but the quantity as well.
0: And it has worked before. I know. They did, they did not end up going forward with that um, grant making process where people where schools had to teach 1619 type um, curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so it can it can work. So just to to
1: That's reinforce perfect,
0: that and and, and encourage yeah. people to do that.
1: Perfect example. And, then, and also with the charter school uh, program, uh, charter school community pushed back hard. They did make some modifications to the grant program there as well.
2: And we'll make sure to put the link in our show notes so that people can get that. very very last question on the title nine let's optimistically assume that you have a republican that wins the presidency in 2024 is is this now back to the game of ping pong i mean does does that then just reverse and goes back to something like what you and betsy devos implemented under the trump administration would that be the expectation or is there anything that's more permanent about what biden is doing now
1: no, it's not more permanent. It would have to be undone by uh, rulemaking by a future administration. I, I frankly, I cannot cannot imagine if this rule stays as it is. I cannot imagine a, a conservative, or even conservative-oriented president not directing the education department to undo the Biden rule and to commence the process all over again. But admittedly, it is, that is no way to run a railroad. It is, it is whiplash rulemaking and it is nobody any service. But there are provisions in this proposed rule that, that if they become a final reg simply cannot stand and they would have to be undone. At, at the end of the day, uh, there'll be court action on this, but as you, you know, as Dobbs you know, shows us that can take years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Congress needs to jump into the Uh, It's, it's cries out for statutory reform. Uh, There are protections that need to be placed into Title IX that protect parents, that protect women's sports, uh, that protect free speech. There's a whole free speech component to this rule. And that, and that insurgency process. Mm -hmm. Uh, Easier said than done, but at the end of the day, that's where we need to be.
0: Right. It's an intentionally slow, but, but still slow. So, um, well, good. We, and we will direct people uh, to information at your website. We wanted to also, about this, and then we also wanted to hear um, other initiatives that that DFI might be working on that you'd want to give us a heads up about. I know you had some filings uh, regarding a, a school in my neck of the woods outside of Chicago, mm. uh, and we're sure you have other, other uh, projects going on. So, so, give us kind of an, an overview of that.
1: Certainly. Well, last month we, we, we filed a complaint with the Office of Civil Rights of the U.S. Department of Education against the Oak Park in River Forest School District uh, 200 in Oak Park, Illinois. Uh, basically, uh, 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 not, I don't want to say a legend, but this is a fact, uh, pointing out to the department that uh, the district was engaging in race-based grading that that's the, the, the not other
2: under the um, under what the guise of what they call equity grading
1: correct that? so okay. it's this racial equity uh, grading system grading with equity where they use this racial equity analysis tool to review grading practices uh, as, a, as a way to <clears throat> achieve equity in, in education it's a very simple fact pattern uh, I I, I you know, it was interesting that when we filed this complaint, the school district issued a statement saying that we were long here, there's nothing to see here. But in fact, we have documentation which we provided to OCR that says precisely the opposite that there is race based decision making here. And that's a, that's a violation of the federal constitution and Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, we supplemented our complaint with additional documentation uh, a few weeks ago. So we do look forward to OCR. Looking into this, we understand from them that they've opened up a, a, a file and that they are investigating. Uh, we also have a very active oversight program, uh, Beth and Andy, that that focuses on education and workforce issues in the federal government. We've got about thirty uh, FOIA Freedom Information Act requests pending with with the Education Department, the Labor Department, the Office of Management and Budget, the Justice Department on a whole host of issues, not just Title IX, but this issue of student loan forgiveness that you may have heard about, the undue influence of the teacher unions, the NEA and the AFP in departmental decision-making, uh, the influence of some of the consumer, activist consumer groups on the student loan issue, that sort of thing. Uh, we also have had some great success in the Supreme Court on... Uh, two cases, one called Parson v. Macon and the other Kennedy v. Bremerton that concerned religious liberty issues. We were not the counsel of record in those cases, but we did file a friend of the court briefs with the Supreme Court that argued in favor of the families and the plaintiffs in those cases. And I'm pleased to say that some very important court decisions were issued by the Supreme Court in the area of First Amendment freedoms and school choice. So we're very busy, there's a lot going on. We've only just been in, in existence for about nine months. And I think the best is yet to come.
0: Great. And just going back briefly to the um, Oak Park River Forest, are those um, filings, are those available on your website for people to access? I, I think
1: they I think they are. And if they're not, we, we can certainly uh, make them so. Absolutely. Okay. They're, public, they're public record as far as we're concerned.
0: Yeah, so the, and the reason I mentioned that is a lot of times schools, um, they use similar language and have similar programs. And I think from what I can tell in documents, having looked briefly at them, you've done a, a real analysis of what's in there. So I think people can learn a lot about what potential violations are there. So okay. I think they're, they're, they're worth a visit. So that would be great. And then uh, people can also visit, it's dfi.org.
1: It's dfipolicy.org. Policy. Great. Okay. EFP policy
2: guide. We'll put we'll put that link in. Well, Bob, I'm very grateful for you coming on Take Back Our Schools to talk about Title IX and your role and what you did and what the Biden administration is doing now and how we can hopefully provide comments and push back, but also for all the work that you and your team are doing. Thank you. Uh, we are very grateful for that. So thank you.
1: Well, it was my pleasure to be here today. I really appreciate it.
2: That was a informative, obviously, and and Bob's incredibly um, knowledgeable about what is going on. Um, but yes. it's scary. I mean, like a lot of the it conversations is. we have on Take Back Our Schools, it's scary. And he said something I think early in the conversation, and I forget his exact words, but you know, t- t- this is this I, the word I always use. is This is really a revolution.
0: Absolutely, and it was an accelerant for cultural and social change. Yeah. He said, and they're using yeah. Title IX to to do this, to do that, and-
2: without most people understanding that. And I don't think I, no. uh, you know, you know, fully appreciated what something mm-hmm. like title nine, you, you know, historically, we talked about this when we interviewed, you know, Betsy DeVos after, you know, we think about this as okay, equal, you know, numbers in, in college sports, right? Some people are aware of the due process issues here, but this is being used to remake society.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, well-intentioned start. And then, you know, these, these, Programs and rules and regulations—they expand uh, in their use, and that's absolutely right. And there are so many dimensions to this. I think we scratched the surface with him, yeah. And yeah. so, but that's that said, it should not stop people from reading up on it. And I think particularly it is the expansion of the term "sex" into sexual orientation, into gender identity, yeah. that people, many at least, are, are somewhat familiar with, um, and that should be, you know, of note, and that and that people should take. You know, they, they should definitely visit his website um, to get the the two pager uh, once they get that up there. But get smart and then use the portal to weigh in. This is your you know duty, right and duty as a citizen. And you know what could be a more important um, topic than than your ch- than your children. Yeah. And um, I know some this... of the
2: some of our friends in the parents movement, some of the organizations like Parents Defending Education, sure, Moms for Liberty, and No Left Turn in Education, mm-hmm. all are active in in I think collecting comments and writing letters to the to the Department of Education. And so you know we have allies in this fight. But the more people that comment, hopefully the more impact that we can have.
0: For sure. And then you know you also might at your local school find out who your Title IX coordinator is and what they do and just get a better understanding of how this plays out in your school, whether your child is in K through 12 or at a uh, you know higher ed institution, just because um, even even now you know the thing is, and we didn't talk to him about this, a lot of um, you know schools these uh, Obama issued these rules and the schools adopted them, and then the new DeVos rules were issued. I, I wanted to find out you know were they really changed, right. and then I think most most educational establishments are going to probably hew towards this Obama Biden type of of um, activity and uh yeah so it would just behoove you not to better understand it um and then yeah just just weigh in um so that so that these institutions are you know using title IX for what it was intended um not for what the current cultural zeitgeist is or or for this longer term change um because i do think he, he hit the nail on the head with that
2: yeah no agreed um well on that note we will be back soon for another episode of take back our schools we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Bob I tell and if you did please share us and review us and tell your friends and we'd really appreciate that and hope you'll tune in on behalf of my co-host Beth Feely I'm Andrew Gutman and we'll see you again soon on take back our schools ricochet join the conversation